Hello, and welcome to Speaking of Research. I'm Professor Trish Ray, and this podcast is one in our series from the Alberta School of Business at the University of Alberta. On today's episode, I'm speaking with Professor Jennifer Argo. She's the Carthy Professor in Marketing, and her research is focused on understanding the social elements of consumer behavior. Jennifer is ranked by the American Marketing Association as the 13th most productive marketing academic worldwide. Her work is published in top academic journals and covered by major news outlets like BBC, Time, Globe and Mail, CNN, and the Washington Post. Jennifer's work is extremely interesting, often eye-opening. She looks into the subtle nuances that we as consumers are mostly unaware of when selecting our purchases. So really a pleasure to welcome you, Jen. Thanks, Trish. So really, Jennifer, you've published nearly 40 papers already. You've had countless presentations around the world, but I wanna to focus today on just one of your papers. It was published in 2005 in the Journal of Consumer Research with co-authors Darren Dahl and Rajesh Manchanda. The title is The Influence of a mere social presence in a retail context. This is your most highly cited paper, according to Web of Science. And it'd be really great. Can you briefly explain what this research is about and the key findings? In short, the basic idea was trying to understand how the mere presence of another person impacts you when you're shopping. And so past work has looked at what we would consider an interactive social presence. So that would be if you were talking to somebody or a salesperson is helping you. But in our research, we were specifically interested in a mere presence. So someone who's physically present, but does not have any form of interaction with you. And the, the core idea was to find out whether or not the presence of this person or a group of people would impact the way you feel and the way that you behave in, in a retail context. So the core finding of the research is that our positive emotions and our behaviors change as a result of the number of people who are present and also how close they are to you. When there's one person present, we experience a lot of positive affects. We feel positive emotions. We're happy as compared to if there's no one there or if there's a group of people standing next to you. And in those cases, we've experienced a lot of negative. So we're not happy with their presence. In terms of behaviors, we're more likely to buy the most expensive brand that's available when there's one person there or a group of people as compared to when you're by yourself. Now, if that social presence, so the one person or, the, or a group is further away down the aisle, they have less of an impact on our behaviors and our feelings as well. So it's really the close proximity of another person or group of people that we're not interacting with that will influence which brand you'll ultimately buy and how you'll feel. That's fascinating. And can you tell us a bit about how you got the idea to do this research? Truthfully, it was from personal experience uh, where I had gone shopping with a friend and had come home, and this was an interactive context to be very frank, um, but I'd come home and I had bought way more stuff than I thought I ever would. And in addition, I was buying a lot of brand name products. And so not only more quantity, but also I was spending a lot because I was buying the more expensive products. And so I got thinking about it a little bit and, and thought that was kind of interesting. And there actually hadn't been any research to, that studied the interactive presence of another person uh, in this type of context. But I was more interested in just the strangers. What do the strangers do? How do they impact the way you think and you feel? So it was purely personal experience 
as a PhD student, having little to no money, I blew the budget um, significantly and felt that that should probably be my dissertation topic. Wow. So that was your dissertation work. It's come to be very important in a number of ways. We can see that in the citation pattern. And can you talk a little bit about how your work has been picked up and used by others? I was really lucky uh, in terms of my timing uh, of when the paper came out and when I was doing this research. At that point in time, as I mentioned, there wasn't any work that was done in, in marketing or consumer behavior that looked at how these mere presences affected us. And given that they're almost always there when you go shopping, it seemed like a pretty big void. So from an academic perspective, I was sort of at the beginning of the wave of a big, broad stream of, re of research that started to explore the impact of these social influences. Uh, and in addition, I used uh, methodologies that were not actually used virtually at all in the consumer behavior literature at that time. We used field experiments, which rocked the way things were done, traditionally in a lab uh, with paper, pencil, and here's a situation and imagine it. We put people into real situations where they really went to a store, tried and used, bought products, used products, uh, and explored what the implications were in the real context. So from an academic, I think that that's sort of why it was, it was influential or it's, it's had a, um, received a lot of attention. There's one uh, important message for the, the managers is to manage um, traffic flow through the spaces you have in the stores. Uh, it is not good for a manager or for space in the store to have no traffic. If a consumer is there by themselves, they're going to feel they'll be unhappy and they're not going to buy the more, more expensive options. They tend to go for the generic choices, the cheap ones. Um, if you have one other person there, that is a sweet spot, right? So you want to have a little bit of traffic, but not too much. And so that would be the important component, I think, for managers is to recognize that these other people do influence consumers. Jen, that's really interesting about the managers, and I'm wondering if the research also then has some implication for consumers themselves. Absolutely. I think that for consumers, it's important to recognize that these other people around us, even though we're not interacting with them, do have profound impacts on the way we behave in the shopping in a retail space. And so more to be conscious and aware that these people are and can impact your wallet, uh, and how much money is in there to be cautious and careful about it. And so to really decide what it is that they, you want to buy before uh, you even enter this space will help a lot in terms of influencing which brands you ultimately pick. And then also recognizing that if you're feeling the negative emotions, it could be just due be to the fact that you have a group of people standing within close proximity to you. I'm going to have to be more careful, I think, when I go shopping. <laughs> Me too. Yeah, no, it's a good message and, and really interesting work. Um, so that was your dissertation. And um, that's quite a, that's a little while ago. Um, since then, have you built on that kind of approach in your more recent work? The vast majority of my research falls under the domain of social, at the very least, and a bit more narrowly social influence. So many projects I have look at how other people continue to impact us. Uh, both real people, so in a retail space, they're physically present. Sometimes I look at how cues or signals that other people were there um, will also impact us. And then I also look at simply just imagining the possibility that somebody else could be present, how that impacts us. So that's one sort of stream. I also do work that looks at how um, our social identity 
impacts our, our relationship with products and how we deal with products both at the uh, at the acquisition stage, so buying things and, and getting rid of things, so disposal. Uh, and that's very social also because your social identity is sort of the groups to whom you belong and which, with which you identify. And so thinking about being a Canadian, for example, how that impacts my relationship with products. And then I also do work on social responsibility and looking at how to, to help our environment, to help um, society overall. That's also been a kind of stream that I've been quite interested in. So Jan, you're talking about some research ideas that started when you were working on your dissertation that you've built up over time. And I'm wondering if you have some thoughts about the importance of having what people might call a program of research over your career. I think it certainly has happened uh, for me. I'm going to be honest and say it wasn't intentional by any stretch. Uh, more by more, I would say accidental, but uh, I picked a topic for my dissertation that I honestly loved. Uh, it was personally relevant. I enjoyed doing it despite all the negative um, things that happen in the review process. Um, but I, I, I started with something I really loved and it, it makes it really easy to continue to pursue topics in that domain. Uh, and then I always see things through the lens of social. And so anytime I, I start a new project by default, because it's something I'm interested in, I always look and say, okay, well, how does social influence play into this category? Does it, does it not, and so forth. So as we come to, toward the close of this podcast, I'm wondering, and I've asked everyone we've been interviewing, um, if you have some advice that you'd like to share with junior scholars who are just getting started with their research. Okay, a few ideas actually. Um, so one, and I just emphasized it, it's really important to pick topics that you love. I'm pretty selective on any kind of work I do. And if it's not something that I'm excited to talk about with others and to share with others, I usually think that that's a pretty good signal that I should not pursue the project further. Uh, it takes a long, long time to publish a paper from start to finish. And if it's not something that you're excited about, it's gonna be very, very difficult to get over the hurdles that will be thrown your way absolutely guaranteed. So pick a project you love. Another point I would say is that it's really important to be selective with who you work. I think that there's a lot of different perspectives on whether it's good to work with friends versus not as co-authors. Co I think working with friends is the best for me personally, having tried both methods. The primary reason for that is, again, as I keep saying, it takes a long time to publish these projects and having moral support from somebody that I, I, I like makes it a lot easier. And I also find that I tend to be more relaxed and more myself with my friends. Another thing that I would advise or suggest is to share your ideas. I have found that I always start with an idea, but it's not that great at the end of the day. And it only gets better with the more people I share the idea. They talk, we discuss, I think about it in a different way. And it really does add tremendous value to, to, to share these ideas. It doesn't necessarily mean that I will follow everything people say, but at least I'll consider it. And having shared the idea with people who have very different perspectives, I think brings tremendous value to the project. And then the last thing I would say is that over the years, um, I have learned to, have, to stop having a knee-jerk reaction to failed studies. 
And what I particularly mean is before, whenever a study failed, I got frustrated, I put it away, I stopped thinking about it, other than to say, did I have some, did I make a mistake with calibration or what was wrong with my manipulation? More recently, in the past few years, I've really come to think of these failed studies as potentially new research directions. And so a lot of times studies don't work because they, they change, they're, they're a different idea, they're, they're unexpected finding the fact that they didn't work. And as a consequence, I think it's interesting and important to think about, well, if they didn't work, is this a boundary condition for my effects? Is there something novel here that has triggered this null effect? Or is it truly just a poor manipulation that I've, that I've chosen? Um, so in short, I think thinking about failed studies um, as an opportunity to potentially learn more in, in the area you're interested in is, is really valuable. Um, and I personally have benefited from having done so. Those are great points, Jen, and they certainly resonate for me. It's really been a pleasure to talk with you today, and thank you for being with us. My pleasure. Thank you. Thanks, Jen. And now to our listeners, if you'd like more information about Professor Jennifer Argo's research or other podcasts in our series, please visit the Alberta School of Business Research webpage. Now, to close this episode of Speaking of Research, I'll remind you that I'm Professor Trish Ray at the Alberta School of Business at the University of Alberta. Thank you for listening. Mm -hmm.